up the airy mountain, down the rushy glen. We daren't go a-hunting for fear of little men. You see, nobody ever goes in, and nobody ever comes out. Greetings, cultists, and oompa loompa doobity do. Have we got an awesome podcast for you? And with the upcoming Wonka movie now on release, what better way to celebrate than to go back to the one that started it all? That's right, folks. For our final episode of this season of Cult Classics, we're taking a look at the 71 Gene Wilder fantasy and Roald Dahl adaptation, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. So come with us into a world of pure imagination, and boy, do we have a bumper selection box of guests with us today. First up, we've got regular silver screen host, my partner in crime, and our very own Vinicius Canid. It's Mike. (laughs) Picture me slowly limping down and then doing a somersault. There we go. Hello. (laughs) Also joining us is our uh, recent feedback Oompa Loompa, Sandy. Hi, how are y'all doing? Very well, thank you. Yourself? Good, good. Nice one. But wait, there's more. We're joined by a couple more visitors in the factory today. If you've listened to our sister hit or miss Star Trek podcast, you may recognize his voice. It's uh, it's Jeremy. Hello. And last, but by certainly no means least, and once again, you may uh, recognize her from the hit or miss podcast too. It's Lady Vianne. Hi. So uh, with us having two new guests on Cult Classics this time, it's uh, obviously time to ask that traditional question. We ask all our first timers on here, gives the listeners a view into their personality and allows Mike and myself a little wager. And we've got a bit riding on this one. So if you had to choose just one favourite, a desert island pick, if you wish, Cult Classic of any genre, your favourite of all time, what would it be and why? And I'm going to come to you first on this one, Vianne. Oh, damn it. I knew you would. Um, I was thinking about this because I love so many cult movies. And it's like, oh, what's your favorite? What's your favorite? Well, what defines a cult movie, too? Because there are things I like that I, I feel like people throw around the phrase, oh, it became a cult classic. I'm like, no, it just became a classic. There's a difference. You know? <laughs> um, so I am going to have to say, I think, Clue. Ooh. And, uh, of course, that... Starring uh, just a phenomenal Tim Curry, Madeline Kahn, uh, uh, Christopher, L- you know, just the most incredible cast. And the um, oh. story behind it is great, too, the production story, but um, how they were really planning to come up with a different ending for each character. And um, I just think it's funny as hell. I was I walk every day. I go for walks or hikes. And I remember one day I was out on a walk in a neighborhood. So there were people out on their porches doing whatever. And so whatever reason just a a line from that movie popped into my head where somebody's like stop shouting to tim curry and he goes i'm not shouting all right i am i'm shouting i'm shouting i'm shouting and a candelabra fall not a candelabra a a candlestick falls 
from overhead and bonks him right on the top of the head and knocks him out. Um, I just oh. had headphones on. I was by myself. And I don't know why it popped into my head, but I randomly just started laughing so hard. And sorry, I, sorry to interrupt, Vian. I've, I've, I've got an incoming call here. Sorry, bear with me. Uh, okay. Uh. How dare you? <laughs> All right. I did it. I killed a vet. I hated her so much. Fire, flames on the side of my face, heaving, heaving breath, heaving. Sorry, I had to. That is the best part of that movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so everybody around probably thought I was crazy. Because <laughs> I was I was laughing so hard. So um, I just think that movie just tickles me. And yes, the part with Madeline Kahn right there is, in fact, the best part of that movie. Madeline Kahn. You'll never trust me to be sent anything ever again, will you? <laughs> just yeah, I can't believe you saved that. Of course I did. <laughs> I, I sent it to DK and he was like, you have to use that in the podcast, even if it's in the edit. I was like, oh no, no, God. I'm going to have to announce to her that I'm using it, otherwise it's a bit... <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> nice one. So, uh, so yeah, how about you, Jeremy? If you had to choose just one, what would be your go-to pick? Uh, my go-to pick would be The Elephant Man. Sorry, Ooh. John Hurt. Uh, that movie is really beautiful. It's a really hard movie to watch, but I love it. Um, I also just love the unconditional kindness that is shown towards him. Uh, it's just it's rare that a movie's conflict doesn't come from uh, all right, that it doesn't come from malevolence, but it comes from somebody trying to overcome their trauma. And that's definitely what The Elephant Man is. It's it's a beautiful film. It is a fantastic film. I will have to agree. And and David Lynch, which I just cannot fault. So, mm -hmm. so nice one. With, uh, with those two choices in the bank, we'll now turn our attention to the subject of today's discussion, which, as we've uh, already established, is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Now, the idea for adapting the book came about when director Mel Stewart's 10-year-old daughter read the book and asked her father to make a film out of it with Uncle Dave, uh, other one as producer David L. Wolper. Stewart showed the book to Wolper, who happened to be in the midst of talks with the Quaker Oats Company regarding a vehicle to introduce a new candy bar. Wolper persuaded the company, which had no previous experience in the film industry, to buy the rights to the book and finance the picture for the purpose of promoting a new Quaker Oats Wonka bar. Now, Wolper and Roald Dahl agreed that Dahl would also write the screenplay. Dahl had not delivered a completed screenplay by the start of production and only gave an outline pointing to sections of the book. Dahl, nevertheless, was credited with writing the film's screenplay. However, he disowned the movie after David Seltzer was brought in to do an uncredited rewrite against Dahl's wishes, making changes that Dahl himself didn't agree with. Filming took place in Munich from August to November 1970, and the movie opened in the US on June 30th, 1971, receiving generally positive reviews from critics, but with a $3 million budget, it was not a big financial success, only earning $4 million by the end of its original run. However, it did receive a nomination for Best Original Score at the 44th Academy Awards, and Wilder was nominated for Best Performance in a Motion Picture, Comedy or Musical at the 29th Golden Globes. 
And in 2014, the film was selected for preservation in the U.S. Uh, National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically or aesthetically significant. While by the 1980s, home video sales and television airings saw the movie gain cult status with a new audience. In 96, there was a 25th anniversary theatrical re-release, which grossed the film a further $21 million. And in 2003, Entertainment Weekly ranked it 25th in the top 50 cult movies of all time. And uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is currently available on various streaming services, depending on your location, as well as being available on DVD, Blu-ray and 4K. So as normal, I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to ask everyone here today, what was your first recollection of this one? I uh, I personally can't remember the first time I saw this, but one of my earliest memories was watching it at my uncle's house with my cousin one New Year's Eve. It's, uh, it is one of the only memories I have from that time. And I know I'd seen it before, but for some reason that one stuck with me. Uh, yeah, led to me reading the book, which in turn became one of my childhood favourites. So how about you guys? And I'm going to throw the floor open to whomever wants to chime in first. What was your first recollection of this one? I remember seeing it um, when I was like many of these early 70s films at my grandma's because she, my grandma and grandpa had cable. Um, and I remember I, it wasn't, of course, that early. It was, it was probably um, in the early 80s, mid 80s. And I just um, really liked it. There wasn't a whole lot of, of kids movies. So when something came out for us with this much imagination in it, um, you know, if it wasn't <laughs> y'all's favorite bed knobs and broomsticks or escape to Witch mountain. I mean, this was just really magical. And I actually do have very, very vivid memories of watching this up like on repeat when I was younger. Nice one. Anyone else? Well, I don't remember per se the first time I watched it. I was always a big fan of Roald Dahl's books. I had a video store called Errol's because uh, this was the 80s before, you know, all the really big chains got going. We had a little little local video store called Errol's and I know we rented it from there because we didn't have it on tape. We must have rented it, but um, I remember most vividly is the introduction like with the, the chocolate just glowing and being stamped out in the machine and like you're watching the movie going gosh i wish i had some chocolate now and uh just what a what a great movie it is but i do remember this may not surprise those of you who know me going this isn't how the book went you know <laughs> so <laughs> i was always uh taken by the differences between the book and the movie because I would argue that Tim Burton's version actually is a little more close to the book but um in terms of just watching it and the imprint it made on me even though it wasn't like the book which was always kind of a criticism of mine even at a young age um I just watched it over and over I just loved this movie there's something magical about it in a uh, kind of sinister way yeah yeah what about you Jeremy well, I loved this film as a child. I really did. And I watched it on repeat many times. I remember uh, when I was watching it a few times, I would uh, 
put on a coat and a hat while I had my robe on when I was like really little and pretend to be Grandpa Joe <laughs> using an umbrella. Like, oh, the cane, Charlie, the cane. You know, I, I really enjoyed this film. And a, a large part of that is um, I don't normally share this kind of stuff, but this movie is special to me because um, when I was little, I grew up in a tra- like a really, really uh, degraded trailer. I didn't really have a large uh, or, you know, nice living conditions. And we were just struggling to get by a lot when I was really little. And so whenever I saw the film, it was just, it was really nice to think, ah, wouldn't it be awesome if I got a golden ticket you know, <laughs> and was able to go see, because I related a lot to Charlie Bucket. I really did. And I, uh, one of the songs which comforted me more than any other was Cheer Up Charlie. That song really, really stuck with me. Um, but I love the entire film. I loved uh, Gene Wilder's insanity in it as well. I remember also thinking as a kid that I was so glad that this movie, I was allowed to watch it because it had some scary stuff in it. And I fa- kind of felt respected that I was able to watch scary stuff when I was like five or six. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. And you, Mike? Excuse me. Yeah, uh, well, uh, my experiences kind of feed into some of my review and my conclusion, but effectively, like I, when I was super young, like when I was first starting school, I was, believe it or not, a pretty big nerd and definitely uh, probably, no. nerd, probably similar to Vian. And for whatever reason, Roald Dahl was like the main author, although there were others like Dick Kingsmith and um, I can't remember the author now, but the, the book Five, Twelve, and Eight was, was one that came up a lot. But for anyway, for whatever reason, Roald Dahl books became the thing, and and the Chronicles of Narnia, actually. <laughs> Again, that's off topic. But yeah, um, so I'd read the books, but didn't really, you know, I, I was so young that it didn't really connect with me, knowing the differences in the way that Vian mentioned, like between the book and the film. And then when it came to seeing the movie, I can't remember the first time, and you may be able to, you know, <laughs> confirm this or tell me if it's just my own confirmation bias dk but i just remember it being on tv all the time it's one yeah. of those other all ones. the what time we yeah we were discussing something the other week that was on in the uk that was on every like bank holiday and christmas holiday and everything and this was another one that was just always on and um so we always we'd always watch it because my mom absolutely adores this film and she was the one that basically got us to watch it whenever it was on tv and stuff and so i'd, I'd seen it like so many times from childhood and we all I don't know. It's it's it speaks to the film that we've all connected with it. All the various members of my family, and when it came out on like DVD and they were becoming more popular, and I was looking for gift ideas, it's one of the first movies that I bought my mum to own. And then of Aww. course we'd often, you know, we'd often watch it on DVD whenever it was like we want to put something on. Let's watch Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and Snuggle Up and whatever else. So, yeah. Um, so my mum's had it on DVD for a while, um, and then yeah, like I said, it's, it's just it's ingrained into my sort of personal growing up story because it's one of those films that when you don't even realize how much of an impact it's had until you think about it or you rewatch it. And then you're like, yeah, I must've seen that like dozens of times. And it really was, it was a comfort in difficult times. And it was, a, it was always around without even thinking about it. And yeah, it's uh, what else could I say? It was, it was just always one of those films that was there and probably one of those films that f- formed my sort of love of what films can do and, and of, you know, studying them eventually rather than reading books. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird you say that. I do remember it as being on, quite a lot i mean when i saw it at my cousins i think it was 
I mean, it was definitely New Year, and it must have been on on BBC One because back then we we still only had three channels in the UK. So, yeah. I can't remember the last movie that we talked about that we said was on all the time, but yeah, I know it wasn't that long ago as well. It was was James Bond. There was we did mention James Bond, but I think it was actually Flash Gordon as well. It could have been. Yeah, Yeah, it could have been. (laughs) There's a lot of films that are often on in the UK. (laughs) Yeah, British TV back then was wasn't very varied. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. Now we've uh, seen as we ended on you, Mike. I mean, you know, we're coming over to you anyway. We'll get to uh, discussing the film in earnest shortly. But before we do, seeing as we're now in the spirit of the holidays and following on from the musicals quiz earlier this season on our uh, little shop of horrors episode, please check that out if you haven't. Mike is back with another round to celebrate this one. Isn't that right, fella? That is right, oompa loompa doopity doo. I've got a little puzzle for you. <laughs> so yeah, um, if you're not familiar, this is a game that we've played a few times. As DK mentioned, I played it on the Little Shop of Horrors episode, and I think on the Chicago review that I did with uh, the guys from We Pay for Your Floor podcast. Uh, it's a game that I call Once More Without Feeling. Uh, what it is is basically I have a list of uh, film lyrics based, you know, from film musicals. Uh, I have 25 of them today. Uh, and what I'm basically going to do is I'm going to read out those lyrics with as little emotion, intonation, or passion as as I can muster, possibly, and then it's up to our four contestants here uh, to shout your name out. That's going to be basically function as your buzzer, and tell me for one point what the name of the movie is that it's from, and if you can, for a bonus point, tell me the name of the song. So, is that clear for everyone? <laughs> it is, but as... I said earlier, I just really want you to sing them. So I'm hoping nobody gets <laughs> the first chance. Yes, well, let's uh, let's not get carried away. <laughs> so, yeah, this is... Uh, so, Vian, Sandy, are you ready as well? Ready. Awesome. Right, as I say, um, I'm just going to jump in. I'm going to perform them for the first time with as little emotion as possible. And because Sandra and Adrienne badgered me into it, if nobody does get it based on that, yes, I will perform them, I suppose, as a little sort of singing treat, effort. But treat. I can't promise you it'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> so if we're all ready, I'll jump straight in with number one here. <clears throat> number one is as follows. Because you can't stop the motion of the ocean or the rain from above. You can try to stop the paradise we're dreaming of. Sandy. You... Sandy? Hairspray. <gasps> <laughs> and that'll be that the is... only one I get. Thank you and good night. <laughs> <laughs> and Sandy's gone. <laughs> no, that you... So that gets you a point. That was the film. You were right. It was the film Hairspray. But could you tell me the name of the song? Um, yes, one second. Run and tell that. It's not, no. So I'm going to throw it open. Does anyone want to shout out their name for the other four contestants? No. Nope. <laughs> Can I have was, a second I, shot then? Oh, okay, never mind. It. Never mind. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, if that's the case, it was the movie Hairspray, and the song is called You Can't Stop the Beat. Okay. <laughs> which you would have got if you'd probably, you know, just went through all the lyrics in your head, I'm yeah. sure, because <laughs> that is pretty much the chorus, I believe. So, yeah, uh, that's and one that's point to Sandy one. so far, and we're going to jump straight in with number two. <clears throat> Apologies in advance. This <laughs> You'll see what I mean. Anyway, <clears throat> Nance Ngonyama Bagithi Baba, Sithi 
Um Ingonyama. Ingonyama, CEO Nkoba, Ingoyama, Ingoyama, Ngue, and Amabala. Sandy? Sandy? <laughs> Guessing Lion King? It is the Lion King, Sandy? <laughs> oh, oh, shit, Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an idiot. I won't play the cheering sound every time, but Sandy, do you know the name of the song? Goya? <laughs> no, no, I don't know it. Anybody I don't want to be insulting. Circle of life. Jeremy, oh, I know. Beyond. I, know. Yes. I was just going to say that. <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> she just piled in. I'm going to give the point to you, DK, because I figured you probably knew what it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> If if I'd sung it, it would have went nan singo yama bagi. Oh, and then yeah, it would have been over. <laughs> Etc. Then you would have. Called. It would have just been a catastrophe of people shouting their names. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah, um, apologies behind. <laughs> Please don't stop talking to me. But anyway, here is here is number three. <clears throat> In every job that must be done, there is yeah. employment. Yeah. Vian. It's Mary Poppins. It is Mary Poppins. Well done. Spoonful That's one of sugar. Point. And it's just, oh, fantastic. Two points straight off the bat there. Well played. Fantastic, yeah. <laughs> Seems to be having to do any singing again. Uh, right, number four. <clears throat> Life is like a journey. Who knows when it ends? Yes. And if you need to know the measure of a man, you simply count his friends. Stop and look Vian. around you. Vian. Muppet Christmas Carol. It is the Mother Christmas Carol. Wow. Oh, wow. It's the one um, Michael Queen sings at the end of the movie. No, it's not. Do you know the title? I do, I do know the song. Hold on. It's going to come to me. Okay. Bless Us All? It's not. But you're, you're really ballpark. TK, what is it? The Love is Found? Nope. I'm afraid oh, not. Shit. <laughs> Anyone else want to guess the title? No. Jeremy, Sandy? Nope. Mm-mm. Okay, the, the song is called Thankful Heart. Oh, of course. Shoot. The joyful smile. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> we all love that movie. <clears throat> okay, <laughs> get ready to shout your names out because there's going to be a pile on here. Okay. <clears throat> Who do you blame when your kid is a brat? Yeah. It's, it's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It is factory. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> and do you know the title of the song? Uh, all I know is it's the umpalumpa after Veruca Salt goes down the uh, the bad egg shoot. I'm tempted to give you it because it's just called Umpalumpa song. Go on, I'll be generous. It's almost Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> right, number six. <clears throat> this is I'm going to get crucified for this, but it does count. I should not be left to my own devices. They come with prices and vices. I end up in crisis. Tale as old as time. I wake up screaming from dreaming. One day I'll watch as you're leaving because you got tired of my scheming for the last time. <laughs> Absolutely nobody. <laughs> I know it. I've heard this, but I just I can't remember what I've heard it from. Okay, shall I jump into the second verse, at which point you may all pile in here? Go on. I'm not going to sing it unless you don't get it. <clears throat> it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. At tea time... Everybody agrees. DK? Directly. DK? I know. It's, it's Taylor Swift, isn't it? 
Yes. <laughs> I couldn't say what the hell it's from, but I just, I know that. Okay. Much. Do you know the title of the song or the movie that it's from? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing it's me. I no, have no not... knowledge on Taylor Swift whatsoever. Okay. But... I'm going to throw it open to our other three contestants in that case. Is it Antihero? It is called, the song is called Antihero. So I'll give you a point for that, Jeremy. Yeah. Uh, anybody want to have a guess at the film? Nope. That was technically Taylor Swift, the Eras tour, which did get a cinematic release and does count as a musical like, film. That is not a movie. <laughs> it was released in cinemas. Oh, that's a live concert. It's a documentary at best. Well, you know, somebody. It's got okay. It you knew to... this was coming. You even I'm said I'm going to steal that as an insult. It's a documentary at best. <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> quite a funny uh, oh dear are we ready for number seven or are we just going to insult me some more <laughs> Why not both? good afternoon Why not both, indeed. right number seven it's so dreamy oh fantasy free me so you can't okay. see me yeah okay uh, uh time what rocky horror show that's two points to you dk <laughs> god damn it dk <laughs> Vian was right behind you on that one. That's uh, payback right. for Mary Poppins. Oh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number eight. <clears throat> and now my life has changed in oh so many ways. My independence seems to vanish in the haze. Jeremy. But, Jeremy? It is help from the Beatles movie Help. Yep, two points for you, Jeremy. Absolutely correct on both counts. Uh, awesome. I knew you'd be good at this. <laughs> right. Where are we? This I'm probably going to get killed for this again, but what the heck? I'm going for it. Number nine. <clears throat> Unaware, but underlined. I figured out this story. Oh, no. It wasn't good. No, no. But in the corner of my mind, I celebrated glory. But that was not to be. In the twist of separation, you excelled at being free. Can't you find a little room inside for me? The blank face. Even though I can't see any of you, the blank faces that I'm just getting from you. <laughs> just epic. To be fair, I don't think anybody except maybe DK would probably get this. I don't know why I included the, it. The twist of separation line does sound familiar, but again, I couldn't I couldn't place it. Do I need to, do you want me to sing it? Because you're not gonna get it. <laughs> no, just tell us. Yeah. Oh, 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 hold on. I, I know he, I know who he sings it. Okay, do you know the song? Uh, Back for Good, take that. That's the song, so you can have a point for that, yeah. I'm just, what is it, Love Actually or something like that? It is not. It is a film released this year which was called Greatest Days and is an actual take that musical. So, <laughs> got to keep up with the latest releases, guys. Right. <laughs> the only take that song I know is from Teen Witch. Wow, now you're really showing your uh, cultural bias. <laughs> and I think anyway. I just found my new favorite cult classic, now that I think about it. Oh, you see? <laughs> what have you done, Mike? <laughs> if anybody's curious, the scores currently sit with DK in first place at number six, Vian and Jeremy in joint second with three, and Sandy last with two, but not far behind. So as we jump into number 10, some of these are going to be a bit more obvious, so... 
you know. Again, I don't know why I came up with some of them. That's my brain. But anyway, number 10. <clears throat> There's children throwing snowballs instead of throwing yeah. kids. Vian. <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas. What's this? Two points, Vian. Just straight out. Nice. Wow. <laughs> with barely any of the lyric. That, that was impressive. That's very good. Yep. Uh, right. Number 11, then. <laughs> it might be just as zippy if we was in Mississippi. When we left the movie show, the future wasn't bright. But pain is gone, the show goes on, and I don't want to say goodnight. I'm surprised nobody's getting this one. But no, okay. I feel like I know this one. Sing it. I, I can't really picture how to sing it, and I'm not that talented, but I'll try. It might be just a zippy if we was in Mississippi when we left the movie show. The future wasn't bright, but pain is gone. The show goes on, and I don't want to say goodnight, so say. It's not coming to me. No. Mm -hmm. Okay, are we calling it? Yeah, calling Nobody, Nobody's getting yeah. points. That was Good Morning from Singing in the Rain. Oh, oh, I knew that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. well, okay. <sighs> anyway. Philistines. I'm joking. Number 12. <laughs> There's a place for us, a time and place for us. Uh, Jeremy. Jeremy? Uh, There's a place for us from West Side Story. That's not the title of the song, but I can give you ah. the title of the, the ah, film. Okay. Would anyone oh. like to have a guess at the title of the song? No? Mm, no. It's uh, that, that is one of the lyrics, Jeremy, so it's understandable. It's actually called Somewhere. Yeah, as soon as I said that, I realized I had made a mistake. <laughs> well, It happens. But yeah, we're all doing well. That's cool. Uh, next then. Someday I'll wish upon a star and wake up where the clouds are far behind me. Uh, yeah. Jeremy. Vianna, I heard you first just. Uh, Wizard of Oz. Yeah, do you know the song? I do. Oh, God, my brother made us watch that 5,000 times. And I'm with Judy Garland and I'm blanking somewhere over the rainbow. Correct. Well done. <laughs> Sorry, Jeremy. Which you was this close? <laughs> which was said to be Gene Wilder's favorite song. Wow. Was it really? Yeah. It all ties in. You see, that's it. All makes sense. <laughs> Are we ready for number fourteen? Right. <clears throat> A seven-foot frame, rats along his back. When he calls Bian. your name, Bian. Encanto. We don't talk about Ooh. Bruno. Two points, Vian. Absolutely <laughs> storming into the lead at this point. <laughs> this is going a lot better than it did the last time I did this. I'll say that. <laughs> okay. Right, number 15. <clears throat> Once again, as in olden days, happy golden days of yore. DK? Jeremy. DK, just... Uh, have yourself a merry little Christmas. That's the song. Do you know the film? Is it White Christmas? It is not White Christmas. Oh. Jeremy? Meet me in St. Louis. Fantastic, Jeremy. And I love that you know that film because it is so underrated. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Let me see if I can move back. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to write in the scores as I go here. Uh, I'll, I'll fill you in in another couple of, uh, of rounds with how we're doing. So, number 16. <clears throat> I'm falling. In all the good times, I find myself longing for a change. And in the bad times, I fear myself. I'm off the deep end. Watch as I dive in. I'll never meet the ground. Crash through the surface where they can't hurt us. We're far from the shallow now. Sandy. Sandy? Um, 
well, I think the song is called The Shallows, and it's from Born. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I'll give, I'll it, give you the point for the title, but I, I have to hurry you for the title of the film if you can get it. No, pass. Okay, I'll throw it open. Anyone? Vianne? Vianne? Is it A Star is Born? It is yeah. A Star is Born. Absolutely. Yay. You almost had it, Sandy. You said star, I think, didn't you? <laughs> no, I, I said bo born. born. <laughs> <laughs> the born identity. No, it's not. <laughs> right, number 17. One jump ahead of the Slowpokes. Jeremy. Vianne, you were just in time there again. <laughs> Aladdin. Okay, fantastic. That's a point. I'm and trying to, song? is the title, is it One Jump? <sighs> not quite. One Jump really Ahead? Do... Yeah, okay, I'll give you that then. <laughs> yeah, that's another <laughs> point. Uh, okay, so the as we currently stand with, I think, about seven or eight left, Vian, you've stormed into the lead with 12 points. DK is still in second place with seven points, despite being quiet for a few rounds. Uh, Jeremy, you're in third place with five points, and Sandy bringing up the rear with three points. <laughs> I always do that. <laughs> That's still technically anybody's, I think. I'm not going to sit and do the maths, though. <laughs> but <there we> go. <laughs> uh, number 18. When I was a lad, I ate four dozen eggs. Jeremy. Yeah. Jeremy. Uh, the Gaston song from Beauty and the Beast. Fantastic. Two points, Jeremy, straight off the bat again. <laughs> awesome. And I'll move straight into the next one if I can find it. Where are we? There we are. Number 19. <clears throat> I don't have much money, but boy, if I did, I'd buy a big house where we Vian. both could live. Vianne? Moulin Rouge. It is from Moulin Rouge. Do you know the title of the song? My song? No, I'm afraid not. Oh. Jeremy? Jeremy? Yeah? Uh, your song. It's your song. Ah, <laughs> that's it. Ah, good job, Jeremy. <laughs> Thank you. There's a little a very bit funny. Great song. Inside. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I'm not going to stop you. You can just keep going. <laughs> <if you want>. <laughs> <laughs> no, I should, I should carry on. Number 20. Razzle and a dazzle and a flash a little light. Television lover. Baby, go all night. Sometime, anytime. Sugar me sweet. Little Miss Innocent, sugar me. Yeah. Now, come on. Take a bottle. Shake it up, break the bubble, break it up. I mean, Jeremy? Sandy. Sandy? I know it sounds like Pour Some Sugar on Me by Def Leppard. Yeah. That is Pour Some Sugar on Me. I can give you the point for getting the title correct. And the movie. Mm, I'm picturing everybody in it, but I, like Tom Cruise and everybody, but I cannot remember the name of the movie, so Can't I'll pass. Darn. Anyone else? Is it no Tropic Thunder? Yeah, no, it's not Tropic Thunder. Hold nicely picked up on the reference to Tom Cruise there. DJ. Yeah, I'm just saying, I'm just like, yeah, I'm now thinking of Tom Cruise shaking his ass, so thanks for that, Sandy. You're welcome. No, that, was from, that was from another underrated musical, Rock of Ages. There it is. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, number 21. If only we could turn the hands of time. If I could take you back, would you still be mine? Because I tried, but I had to draw the line. And still this question keeps on spinning in my mind. What if I had never let you go? 
would you be the man I used to know? What if I had never walked away? Because I still love you more than I can say. If I'd stayed, if you'd tried, if we could only turn back time. But I guess we'll never know. Man, that sounds so familiar. <laughs> the silence is deafening. <laughs> this is really going to be beautiful when you sing it to us. Oh, good Lord, it's not. <laughs> I, I am not good enough to be doing this. You're all doing this on purpose, so I have to sing this, aren't you? No, I, I, I feel ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to do it. Of all the ones, I'm going to ruin this song and I love it. <clears throat> if only we could turn the hands of time. If I could take you back, would you still be mine? Because I tried, but I had to draw the line. And still this question keeps on spinning in my mind. What if I had never let you go? Would you be the man I used to know? What if I had never walked away? Because I still love you more than I can say. If I'd stayed, if you'd tried, if we could only turn back time. But I guess I will never know. Whew! I'm amazed that I got through that. <laughs> Not a clue. No. <laughs> but yet so familiar. That is Kate Winslet singing What If from a version of A Christmas Carol, believe it or not. Oh. And well then, you should all no, seek out I'm that song because it is absolutely fantastic, even though she's weirdly ashamed of it. Which <laughs> Christmas Carol is it? It's an animated version that came out years and years ago, and it's not by like a big studio or anything. But yeah, it's most notable because that song comes on in the UK on like the you know the channels that do Christmas song rotations. It's on all the time, and yeah, they interviewed Kate Winslet about it, and she was like, "Oh, I'm not a singer. It's so embarrassing." And I'm like, "Are you joking? This is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard." But anyway, <laughs> uh, right. So nobody got any points there. Thank you for making me sing that for no reason. Number it was worth it. <laughs> it really was not. Apologies, Kate, if you're listening. As if. Anyway, number 22. <clears throat> she swam by me. She got a cramp. He ran by me. Got my suit damp. DK? It's uh, Greece. Tell me more. It's not called Tell Me More, but it is from Greece. So oh, I can give you the point for that. Would anybody like to tell me the name of the song? Bian. Bian? Summer Loving. Uh, it's not called Summer Loving, I'm afraid. <laughs> Jeremy or Sandy? Mm-mm. Nope. It's called Summer Nights. Oh, sorry. Number 23. <clears throat> you remind me of the babe. What? DK. The, oh, DK. Okay. Magic Dance Labyrinth. Yeah, two points, DK. I knew I'm that was just going to be... I didn't get a boy. I'm just going to exile myself. I just discovered, by the way, for the first time, I think yesterday or the day before, that that's an homage to an old Cary Grant film. Yeah. I had no clue. I, I did not know that either. You knew. <laughs> Clearly, I just was not film literate enough. Anyway, and I was obsessed with David Bowie in that unitard back then, before I even knew what I was looking at. Step into oh. my labyrinth for twenty-four. Anyway, <clears throat> from the women who wash all the clothes to the hunter who arrows the bows, the chatter all over the palace is that your prince Eric is going to propose to somebody okay. nobody knows. DK, is it Little Mermaid? 
It is The Little Mermaid. Uh, I can give you that. Do you know the name of the I, song? I couldn't tell you the name now. Would anybody like to guess? Wait, is this from the new one? It is from the new one. Because oh, I don't know that song. Oh, God, I know, I, know, I, know, I know it now. I know it. Shit. Okay, go for it. Scuttlebutt? Yeah, it's called Scuttlebutt. <laughs> oh, let's see, where are we? There's one left, and it's basically a two-horse race. Vian, you are in the lead with 13 points. DK, you are in second place just with 12 points. But Jeremy and Sandy could play spoiler. Jeremy, you're in third with eight points. Sandy, you have four points. And are our runner-up today, shall we say. So, <clears throat> number 25. If you see the wonder of a fairy tale, you can take the future, even if you fail. I believe in angels, something good in everything I see. I believe DK. in angels, DK. It's, I know it's Abba. Okay. I believe in angels, but I couldn't tell you what movie it's from. Vian. That's not the, okay, Vian. Uh, the, is the movie Mamma Mia? The movie is Mamma Mia. Do you know oh. the title of the song? I should. My niece was obsessed with that movie. Uh, can I hear the rest of the oh, lyrics? Sure. Uh, if I have them, let's see what have we got. I'll <clears throat> start from the beginning. If you see the wonder of a fairy tale, you can take the future even if you fail. I believe in angels, something good in everything I see. I believe in angels. When I know the time is right for me, I'll cross the stream. Shit, I should know this. The okay. title is literally the next lyric, which is why I stopped there. <laughs> Okay. Let me, let me just, I have a dream. Okay, I'll, I'll give it you, Vian. DK, it wouldn't have mattered. You you were too far behind. Yeah, that's fair enough. Anyway, well so. done, Vian. That, that was a good one. Hey, tell her when she's won, Johnny. <laughs> well, Vian, with 15 points, you are today's winner, so. Woo! Yay! You did it! I knew you would! I just knew you would! <laughs> There you go. That that's your prize was adoration from Gene Wilder, and uh, I'm sorry. Let us know where we can send your free chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> but for all four of the rest of you. Oh, you get nothing. You lose. <laughs> Good day, sir. <laughs> sorry. Uh, appropriate. <laughs> I had to do it. I had to have those sound bites saved to jump in. Yeah, congratulations, Vian, with a fairly decisive win, and commiserations. All of the rest of you, but especially DK, who put up a very close fight despite always claiming you're going to be terrible at that. So. <laughs> no, she she oh. did. She played a a, a a Barney there. That was fantastic. <laughs> she did. She stormed through it. Congrats, Fiona. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, Sandy and DK, you will have another chance to win a quiz next week when we do our Christmas episode. Uh, Jeremy, you're you're winning at life, so you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> Right, so am I passing back to you, DK, or are we? Uh, well, I'm just going to say now that's uh, now that's dealt with. Uh, we will get back to the movie, but before we get to the discussion, we're going to take a look behind the scenes, and we're going to stick with you, Mike. So, if you queue up some appropriately fantastical music, and I'll let you take over the BTS for this. Apologies again. This, there's a lot here. Uh, I'm going to try and get through it. But if any of you want to chime in with anything or have any thoughts or feelings, feel free because otherwise it's just going to be me talking for a long time. <laughs> but yeah, I'll start. As DK mentioned, the film was written by Roald Dahl and an uncredited David Seltzer, but Dahl disowned the films due to the latter's rewrite, mainly uh, apparently including more focus on Wonka than Charlie and adding the songs and the villain subplot. 
Uh, the song that Wonka sings on the boat ride that begins There's No Earthly Way of Knowing are the only song lyrics that are directly taken from Roald Dahl's book. Uh, Spike Milligan was Dahl's first choice to play Wonka alongside such names as Joel Grey and Peter Sellers. At one point, all six members of Monty Python expressed interest in playing the lead role, but they were deemed not big enough names for an international audience. Eventually, Gene Wilder got the role. And I believe, DK, you have uh, an interjection to make at this point. Yeah, uh, Wilder said he would make the film under one condition. He wanted to do a somersault in the scene where he first meets the children. When asked why, he said that having Willy Wonka start out limping and end up somersaulting would set the tone for that character. He wanted to portray him as someone whose actions were completely unpredictable. From that moment on, you would never know if he was telling the truth or not. And yeah, his request was granted. Indeed. Uh, Yeah. Carrying on then with my bits and pieces. Sammy Davis Jr. wanted to play Bill, the candy store owner, but director Stewart didn't like the idea because he felt the presence of a big star in the candy store scene would break the reality. Nevertheless, the song The Candy Man became a staple of Davis's stage show for many years. Uh, The chocolate bars in the scene of workers unwrapping them in one of Mr. Salt's peanut shelling factories were actually made of wood. This was decided to have been easier than unwrapping and rewrapping actual chocolate. Uh, when Gene Wilder sadly died in 2016, Peter Ostrom, who plays Charlie, changed his social media profile to former child actor, veterinarian, inherited a chocolate factory from the 29th of August 2016. Um, when Willy Wonka drinks from a flower-shaped cup and eats it, it's made of wax. Gene Wilder had to chew the wax pieces until the end of the take, at which point he spat them out. Lovely. <laughs> Uh, The movie was shot in Munich, Germany, but the producers had to go outside Germany to recruit enough little people to play the Oompa Loompas. Many of the people who were cast, German or otherwise, did not speak English fluently, if at all, which is why some appear not to know the words to songs during the musical numbers. Uh, According to Mel Stewart's book Pure Imagination, The Making of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the reason everything in Willy's office is cut in half was that Stewart couldn't bear the thought of, after having gone through all the whimsical and creative rooms in the factory, ending the movie in an ordinary office. Everything was cut in half to make the room look more Wonka-esque. Before entering the inventing room, Willy Wonka gives an introductory speech in German with an accent, but otherwise phonetically and grammatically correct. It goes, and apologies to Toby, our regular fan and listener in Germany. I'm going to try this. Meine Herrschaften schenken Sie mir Ihre Aufmerksamkeit. Sie kommen jetzt in den interessantesten und gleichzeitig behindsten Raum meiner Fabrik. Meine Damen und Herren, the inventing room. <laughs> he pronounces the German R correctly and says inventing room with a proper German accent. The speech translates... Ladies and gentlemen, please give me your attention. You now come into the most interesting room of my factory, the most secret room at the same time. Ladies and gentlemen, the inventing room. Oh boy. (laughs) The face in the Psychedelic Tunnel movie is that of Waylon Green, friend of Mel Stewart and screenwriter of The Wild Bunch, the 1969 movie. According to Stewart's memoirs, Green is the only person who would agree to let a millipede crawl on his face for the sake of a children's film. He confessed the only thing that convinced him was that millipedes are harmless and don't bite, unlike venomous centipedes. Wonka's literary quotations were not in Dahl's original script. They were added by David Seltzer when he rewrote the screenplay. The quotes include, Is it my soul that calls upon my name? from Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. The suspense is terrible. I hope it will last. Is a quote from Oscar Wilde's The Importance of Being Earnest. Across the Desert Lies the Promised Land isn't a quote, but a reference to the story of Moses and the Israelites who had to cross a desert to reach Canaan, their promised land. 
All I Ask is a Tall Ship and a Star to Steer Her By from the John Macefield poem Sea Fever. Round the World and Home Again, that's The Sailor's Way from William Allingham's Homeward Bound. The lines to the song Sweet Lovers Love the Spring are from Shakespeare's As You Like It. Candy is Dandy but Liquor is Quicker is the entire text of the poem Reflections on Icebreaking by Ogden Nash. Where is Fancy Bread and So Shines a Good Deed in a Weary World are both from Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice. Though the line from Merchant of Venice is slightly rewritten, uh, Portia's actual line is So Shines a Good Deed in a Naughty World. Uh, we Are the Music Makers is from Arthur O'Shaughnessy's Ode, which also gives us the phrase movers and shakers. A Thing of Beauty is a Joy Forever is from John Keats's Endymion, a poetic romance. Swifter than eagles, stronger than lions is a passage from the Bible, specifically 2 Samuel 1.23. Oh boy, that was a lot to get to again. <coughs> Excuse me. When climbing aboard the Wonka Tania, Grandpa Joe says, If she's a lady, I'm a Vinicius Canid, as DK uh, referenced earlier. They were previously mentioned by Wonka, and the Vinicius Canids are boogeymen mentioned in numerous Roald Dahl works, including Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. They appear in Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator as blob like aliens that invade the Space Hotel USA. Almost done, I promise. <laughs> in the scene where Wonka angrily reads to Charlie and Grandpa Joe the contract out loud, he, rhymes, he reads two lines in Latin, Fax mentis incendium gloriae culpum, which translates to the torch of the mind lights the path to glory, and memo bis punitor delicatum, which translates to no one can be twice punished for the same offence. And finally, uh, the film was originally released by Paramount, but they let the rights lapse when the film was deemed to have been a financial failure, and the film was ultimately acquired by Warner Brothers. The recent 4K release restores the Paramount logo for what is cited as historical reasons, and it's the first time the opening was seen this way since the original cinema release. And that's all I've got, DK. <laughs> nice one. Thanks for that, Mike. Uh, some good stuff in, in there. <clears throat> uh, yeah, so ev- everyone here, I'm guessing we've all watched it again recently in preparation for this. It's uh, it's well over 50 years old now, so would you guys say it holds up? I brought up, uh, you know... Uh, yeah, we've 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 talked about the more recent adaptation, the Tim Burton one. Do you think this one compares, considering its age? Um, I, I think. Start, but, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say. I I personally think it's infinitely better. I really dislike the uh, the Tim Burton version, even though Vianne is correct. It is technically a lot closer to Dahl's book. Um, I just don't think it has any of the spark or the magic of of the original version and it just i don't know it it didn't land for me at all mike why you gotta do me like that <laughs> oh every no time, every time every time um well first i wanted to add one little tidbit to your introduction where you're telling all the facts that is uh that millipede is actually an african giant millipede they're detritivores really important to the ecosystem and they do have mouths that can bite they're not going to bite you. And when you hold them and they walk around on you, it actually feels like Velcro. They're really interesting. Oh. Eyes. I should have known you'd know all about anything related <laughs> to animals. <laughs> uh, but what, what I actually did not rewatch it in preparation for this because I wanted to kind of go off of just my feelings and memories of it. Having, I mean, certainly I've seen it as an adult, but it's been probably a few years. I mean, I have the DVD, but I, I haven't watched it in some time. And I think it's very very different from the Tim Burton version and I think they both have merits in their own right um Tim Burton's big mistake was throwing in the daddy issue thing other than that I think it's uh, a more uh it's a better adaptation of the novel itself but as far as feelings and um 
emotion. I, I would say that uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory versus Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Um, Willy Wonka is more weighted emotionally, and it's so important to challenge children. Um, not just, you know, so much of what we see for kids now is very sanitized and it's very educational. We're teaching you a lesson and this is what you learn. But it's important to show kids things that are going to challenge them, not just mentally, but introduce them to experiences and feelings in a safe environment that they're not going to feel on an everyday level. And I think this is a movie and so many like 70s and particularly 80s movies for children really did that in a way that we don't see anymore. And so I think not only is this a fun and a magical movie, but it really lets children have an experience that's important. Cool. That's a good point, that, actually. What about uh, you guys, Jeremy, Sandy? What uh, What do you think? Um, I don't really feel there's a compar comparison between the two, and I know I owe that a lot to nostalgia. I'm always going to like the original version better. But then again, I've seen Charlie and the Ch Chocolate Factory and I've only watched it once. Like there was nothing to draw me back to it. So for me personally, uh, no comparison. It does hold up because it still evoked a lot of the same emotions and feelings in me. Although some scenes definitely I saw in a different light and I paid much more attention to Gene Wilder when I got older and saw, you know, how snarky he was being behind the scenes or as his asides. And I just was oblivious to that when I was younger. Uh, but yeah, the certain like gaping plot holes, um, oblivious when I was younger, that's the only thing I think that's changed. But um, you know, you just give your imagination to it. You just go along for the ride, and it's a wonderful movie, in my opinion. Cool. Jeremy? Well, it's like Vianne was saying, there's an emotional warmth to this movie. There's also that is in contrast with his darker tone. Uh, I I love the fact that this movie, it's, it's a contradiction, almost, um, where you've got all this horrific stuff happening and yet Charlie Bucket shines through all of it, you know, and at the end Wonka rewards him for it. And I think that's the reason why I prefer it to the uh, Charlie and the chocolate factory and the book is because I don't know. I just feel like the condition that Charlie's family couldn't stay with him in the book was just, I don't know. It, it, it feels as though it kind of sours the ending. And sometimes, you know, I think that the original source material isn't always the best. And even if there are a few plot holes, I at least know that I enjoyed Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory the best. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think um, uh, I'm, I'm going along the lines of pretty much everyone else here. And like Sandy said, it could, it could be down to nostalgia alone. But despite it, you know, the Tim Burton technically being a better adaptation, I just think, as Vian said, this one has a lot more of the feel. You, you get a lot more emotion. To me, when I watch the Tim Burton one, it feels like actors portraying characters. When I watch the Gene Wilder, it actually feels like the characters themselves that I'm watching, if that makes sense. And I do feel that the, the mystery they place on Wonka himself and the factory in this draws me in a lot more than it does at the start of Charlie. Hmm. 
Yeah, there's also when I was reading about it for this episode, I also read that one of the changes that Dahl didn't like and that they insisted on for the movie was that in, in the book, Charlie is just far too perfect and doesn't do anything wrong. And they added like the fizzy lifting drink scene and everything to this, which I think it really does give it a little bit more, a little bit like nobody's perfect, but ultimately he still is the most moral and does the right thing at the end. And I think that is a lot more interesting than just, oh, I was perfect, so I win kind of thing. Or making one mis or making one mistake doesn't make you a bad person. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say as an aside, and feel free to cut this out, but uh almost you gotta talk about Grandpa Joe's influence in that scene. And he it was almost like peer pressure. It's not like Charlie was like, Hey, let's go do this. It was like Grandpa Joe going, Come mm. on, Charlie. And that's the authority figure in his life. So that's an important aspect of that. But also, and this is the part feel free to cut out. If not, you should put a link to it in the description. Have you guys seen the pitch meeting for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? I probably have because I've seen all of the pitch meetings, but I oh can't remember that specifically. God, it is so great. Watch it after this if you haven't seen it. It's it's hysterical. Yeah, I, I do like the changes that they've made to it in this. I can identify with them a lot more than I can with the uh, with the other adaptation and the book itself. I have to say as well that I, I personally find this one just a lot funnier. Like, I know that I've complained in the past about things where like comedy asides and things are superfluous to the film. And there's a lot of that here, but they're all absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Everything from the guy with the computer to the school teacher teaching percentages to just all of it is really, really funny. And I think it just all helps add to the the overall feel and, and atmosphere of the film. Yeah, that, that section where they're all trying Fun. to pump for their tickets at the start, it's a beautiful little bit of satire of consumerism. Yeah, yeah, completely. And, you know, I, I look, as you say, the, for the most part, every single bit of humour on that lands. I love the uh, the newsreader. You know, we've got to remember there are more important things. Offhand, I can't remember what they are, but I'm sure there are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mentioned I have very, very vivid memories of watching when I was younger, but those scenes, I completely have blackboard on. I guess as a child, they just didn't interest me at all. Well, see, when I read up on it, I did read that most American TV broadcasts cut out Cheer Up Charlie, which I think is criminal. But really? <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Yeah, I always fast forward that song. I don't like it. <gasps> yeah, it's me too. It's my mother's favorite like song it. in the movie. <laughs> I actually like that song. It's probably the, it's my least favorite of them, but I appreciate it because I know that it makes my mum cry every time. So, you know. Well, we're British, Mike. We 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 feed on misery. <laughs> Dickens. Uh, I want to disagree, point. but yeah. <laughs> I do. I do like, and I think Jeremy brought it up earlier. It's a it's a lot more of a kind of a, a, it's a lot more grime in this. Yeah, I mean, it jumps straight, yeah, pretty much straight into a musical number, but. It instantly feels darker than. Uh, oh, I, I, I'm going to have to disagree with you on that. <laughs> oh no, I think I think this feels a lot darker than the Tim Burton version to me, and I don't know if it, I think if, so too. It, yeah, I don't know if it's the fact of where they filmed it, but yeah, whereas the Tim Burton, it's it's kind of like a facade of grittiness. This one, that where they're just filming in dark alleys and stuff, I just for me the tunnel scene colors. Be it darker. I was going to sort of leap onto that at one point because I understand the tunnel scene is kind of famously what everyone points to, and I can see why it is, you know, it, it is kind of freaky for people. But for me, 
just because I grew up with it, I, it always just came across more as a kind of fun roller coaster ride. So yeah. I never had that like weird trippy fear associated with it. I get with. that, but again, maybe maybe it's because we're British. Uh, <laughs> I, mean... I, I agree. I always thought it was kind of funny, but I'm probably yeah. a bad one to go by because you know I watch these videos on YouTube and they're like top 10 most disturbing scenes from children's movies and everyone I'm like that was my favorite scene wait that was my favorite scene. <laughs> so it may not I bet, be the I'm... best reference but I always thought it was kind of funny when the mother's like oh I'm gonna be sick oh I am gonna be sick like I... <laughs> how much to get off the boat Wonka <laughs> yeah. well uh, I had something to say about that so yes I just still would argue it's very dark especially with the fates of the children uh, mm. I mean, obviously, yeah. of course, at the end of the movie, we learned they're all okay. But still, seeing the consequences that all these children undergo from running havoc in the factory, that is really dark. That's that's not something that you would get away with, like, doing to uh, characters in a movie today. Like, like mm. for a children's movie, you know. I guess. Yeah, and I know what you mean, Jeremy, and I, I do agree with you that, you know, the fates of the children are... But there's something about, for me, the the manner in which it happens that's that's so, and maybe it's because again I'm British and dark humor and all that. But it's just, I always found it more amusing than disturbing or scary. Well, something you can know? be amusing and disturbing and scary at the same time. <laughs> I guess, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's it's there are weird things that have disturbed me as a child, and a lot of them in kids' movies where people would go like, "Well, why would that scare you? I don't get it." But this has just never been because it's a film I just associate with sweetness and growing up and always kind of being on. I've never really thought of it like, "Oh no, what's going on?" So I think maybe because as well the the fact that it underlines everything with the little Oompa Loompa song, which is just so cheery and kind of like, "Oh, here's your moral message." I just I just love the fact that there's kids getting maimed and then there's the umpalumpers over in a corner just <laughs> singing yeah. and dancing. Yeah, exactly. They literally uh, drop a woman into a a girl into a furnace. Like they don't. Well, she's they close don't. to the furnace, at least. It only gets know. lit every second day. There's a fifty percent chance she's adjacent. <laughs> No, but I mean, that, if you'd seen that, fair enough. But the whole point is that that, like that one in particular, is just the joke of, you know, the, the, the machine going honk honk, and oh, she was a bad egg. <laughs> I yeah. Guess, you know. I I think the Augustus Glute one used to scare me because I don't like, uh, you know, small spaces. So the thought of being stuck in that pipe, yeah, mm. that wasn't pleasant as a child. Mm. I I could see that. I thought you were going to say you didn't like be falling into rivers of chocolate. And I was going to be like, where are these? Where are these? I would be all over that shit, man. <laughs> I know. I almost said before when Vian was like, the, the intro of the film makes you think, ooh, I'm watching a movie. Have I got any chocolate? I'm like, I'm like that with every movie. I do not need to be prompted by the intro of a film. <laughs> I mean, again, we come from the UK. Brown rivers are a thing, but it's not chocolate. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to fall into those, believe me. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> uh. Anyway, sorry. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, anybody else have anything with regards to, uh, you know, the writing and what they think of with regards to its its tone compared to the others? You've already kind of touched on it, but I just like the kind of hints of satire. And the other one that stands out for me is Mike TV's um, Just Wait Till I Get a Real Gun, But I Can't Yet, Dad, Not Until You're 12, which is <laughs> just like, it's both oh, amusing America. and disturbingly prevalent. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, dear. Or prescient, perhaps, is the word. Um, yeah. And, and 
there's something else I took notice of, but I don't know if it's a genuine mistake or just an attempt at some kind of weird humour, but during one of the news reports when they say, oh, people are hunting for the golden tickets across all five continents, like, there's been seven since the 50s, guys. <laughs> Who didn't get the memo? You know? Well, I'm, sh- I'm sure at one point, and I could have misheard it, but Charlie's mother says, Charlie, there's 100 billion people in the world. She does, yeah, yeah, but it's genuinely considered that's an exaggeration because that is a ludicrous amount. Yeah. That's, that's basically somebody misread the amount of people that have ever lived as opposed to the people who are currently alive. <laughs> uh, yeah, so is that it, Mike? Have you got any anything else? Or... No, not really. Just uh, we've kind of touched on everything. I, I say I don't want to, if anybody else has anything, I didn't want to uh, take from their thoughts on the writing and, and stuff. Anybody? Um, okay, I have a question. Um, just, okay, I love the movie, but now that I got my love of the movie out of the way, um, Grandpa Joe... Can just all of a sudden walk? Like that, that guy is hundred percent a benefits cheat. There's, there's oh, still two is about yes. it. <laughs> yeah. Let his daughter work her fingers to the bone. I know. Free chocolate. Let me get up. Yeah. yeah. And one of the darkest parts of the movie when Charlie's like, "I'll pay for your tobacco." Yeah, I'll pay to kill you quicker, grandfather. <laughs> what the heck, man? Well, he has no business smoking tobacco when they're that poor. Come on now. Exactly. <laughs> eating cabbage water, for goodness sake. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I feel for Charlie's mom because she just, she, she doesn't even get to go to the factory he wins. And he's like, I'm taking the grandpa who's been bedridden for the last however many years. And his mom's like, all right, I guess I'll still go back to work then, shall I? Yeah. <laughs> he had taken his mom, that fizzy lifting shit wouldn't have happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <she's not laughs> <about anyone>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was out of bed way too quickly for somebody who uh, couldn't walk, like, for sure. So, yeah, going on to the uh, the actors, does anybody have anybody notable ones that they uh, particularly, obviously, you know, everybody's going to go to Gene, but was there anyone else that drew anyone's attention? I did really think that the actor for Charlie Bucket was wonderful. He he, he was, he, he, he just beamed uh, charisma and innocence at the same time. But like you said, he actually felt like a real person. You know, and also something that he played so wonderfully was uh, in some scenes that I resonated with when I was little was uh, when they were hunting for the tickets and stuff. And they were talking about Charlie and he said, how many tickets are you about? I said, two. He was like, well, I can't do two and all that. Uh, <laughs> just the, um, the, the that sense of uncomfortable shame almost for not quite being able to do what everybody else is doing is so relatable. Mm. It is. It's it's one of those feelings that. If done right, it really, really resonates. And he's he just comes across so well in those movies. It's, and yeah, he's 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 great. In fact, a couple of big big moments like that, I think, from uh, from Peter Ostrom. And when I was discussing with my mom earlier today, because I mentioned we were going to be recording it, and she was trying to point out to like the moments that she likes the most, because as I mentioned, she loves the film. And she was like, I just love when you kind of feel the sadness of him trying to fake having one, and then like, oh, I thought I got you, didn't I? And then Personally, I agree with her that I feel the sort of the absolute sadness and, and just the panging during the cheer up Charlie scene and the scenes when he's just constantly, yeah. oh, just let's unwrap it, Charlie. And uh, I bet that, you know, I bet it makes the chocolate taste terrible anyway. And that's genuinely sad. And then the actual joy when he does find it eventually in the street and the music yeah. crescendos and everything. And it's just like, I I rarely felt so happy for a fictional character yeah. <laughs> in anything. Yeah. I mean, when that, that I mean, yeah. Grandpa Joe's a 
git. But that bit where he says he he changed the tobacco money for a chocolate and they're yeah. opening the bar there and obviously they're disappointed and they give each other a hug and that just gets me every single time. Yeah. I think he's yeah, I think I agree Jack Alberton, Grandpa Joe is another fantastic actor. I mean, I, I joke about the uh, the obvious thing of well, he got up too quick and stuff, but I think he is good as kind of Charlie's mate almost that's a family member that you yeah. can genuinely like you sense that they love each other and, and they're not like actors acting they are family and there's real affection there mm-hmm. yeah but going back to what jeremy said i do think peter ostrom's great considering you know this is his debut movie mm. and obviously his only movie he, i think yeah he didn't go on to do anything else i think he's a fantastic little actor in, yeah. in this mm-hmm. you, you generally do feel the emotion although i will say uh Apparently, his reaction to uh, Gene Wilder yelling at him in the office, uh, Mm -hmm. that was real. Apparently, he wasn't told beforehand that Gene Wilder will be yelling at him. Uh, So he he felt Mm -hmm. it would be for a better better reaction. So uh, I heard that also uh, when they were in the tunnel, same thing with... uh, the mm. two uh, young girl actors thought that he was losing it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nickerson, she thought uh, he was really going mad. Yeah. But supposedly Gene Wilder did not want to do that. It was the director who insisted that he not tell them about it and then they get the official reactions or whatever. Yeah. Well, getting uh, to the actors, I don't, I don't know all their names, but I thought all of the children uh, for mm. child actors were pretty genuine uh, because there's a difference between the Tim Burton film where they almost feel like characters. I always thought of them as like candy versions of real people with how shiny they are and everything versus this version where the kids feel like real kids and they're so obnoxious and you want to slap them. But not only that, they want to slap each other like they're annoyed with each other. Um, and, you know, it's, I, I think they, I the think they did. I think they did their own stunts. Too. When that oh, wow. kid crashes into the bells and falls down, it's clearly him. That looks like a hard fall. Does anybody else have any any actors they want to single out? No, I just want to. I want to second actually, what we was saying. Actually, ahead, sorry man. to interrupt. Uh, the actress who played Veruca Salt was really good. Yeah, like, was you really, really thought she was annoying, you know, and it, it it came off as oh, I genuinely really don't like this character. Like it wasn't. Oh gosh, that's an annoying child actor because there's a difference. Mm-hmm. There's a yeah. big difference, and she was just phenomenal. And I wonder what she got up to because she's the only one that kept acting. Apparently, yeah. out of the kids, really. I'm gonna have to look yep. up her career after this. I, I was gonna say more or less the same thing. I think it's one of the better performances, and you can see this actual talent because I think the song, the whole um, "Don't Care How I Want It Now," is one of the better performed songs in the movie as well. And that it's by a, a little girl who's not shy or nervous at all. She just fully goes for it, belts this song out. And yeah, I really it, think it's it's impressive. It's my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> sing that all the time. <laughs> I am not surprised. <laughs> That's probably just how you get things. <laughs> just anytime you go shopping. <laughs> Picture you jumping on the counter. I want it no, now. No. It doesn't hurt to try. <laughs> I joke, I joke. But no, that was just gonna say the same. Oh, except yeah, I did want to quickly shout out. I already mentioned basically it, but um so many great 
comedic performances that are just asides. Like I said, like the um, the teacher in particular is a good British. Yeah. Uh, he's a British comedic actor who's been in other things, but it's David such a good Bradley. little. That's the, that's the guy's name, yeah. So it's yeah, such I a good little sort of role. From Kroll. Oh, yeah. He's pretty much the only thing worth watching in that movie. Oh, dear. Oh, also, uh, speaking of one of the other sides, um, the uh, the man who says, I am now telling the computer exactly what it can do with a lifetime supply of chocolate. That that performance is really fun. Uh, Rob Taylor, who British fans will know from what is one of the trio from The Goodies. Oh, The Goodies. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, The Goodies were comedy gold back then, so... You know, it, it was pretty much at the height of their popularity. That's one of the things about this film that we, I haven't mentioned, but that I yeah, probably should bring up is that it feels so peculiarly British to me. And again, maybe that's my bias because I'm British, but it's just they all seem to be speaking in posh English accents. They all of the minor characters, you know, seem well, to be English. Right or, well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, right, right and the kids, obviously. <laughs> I mean, like even the background characters, the teacher, and like they. When I was reading in it on the film, it was saying like they didn't specifically set it in any place. It could be anywhere, which is why they say you can have as many of these instead of giving units of money or whatever. But for me, it just always came across that it takes place in England, just yeah. because that's how they all kind of sound. All the background characters, the teacher, the you know the the. the all the comedy skits that we mentioned previously, and it's all of the kids that come from like other parts of the world. Even Charlie and his family sound kind of English to me. I do like that, you know, in, in the Tim Burton one, Charlie's British, in this he's American, and it does look like they're trying to, you know, kind of Americanize it up just so it's for, for international audiences, as it were. Speaking of which, y'all are going to have to tell us what a bean feast is. I oh, did yeah, look it up because. It's apparently a feast that's put on by your employer at a place of work. Oh. It was one of the things that came up during the BTS research that I did. <laughs> I just thought that a bean feast was, you know, you British people are it's crazy bean. about beans. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, it's, well it's, known. Just, it's well known. It's just 20 cans of beans on a table. Okay? <laughs> it's, it's beans on toast as far as the eye can see. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, we've, we've talked about the actors. Uh, so we come to to Jean. So everybody's impression on Jean, and I, I think we'll probably have a consensus here. Absolutely wonderful. Is a dazzling performance. I honestly feel as though if there was one man who, like, like I know as a Doctor Who fan, this is blasphemy, but if there was one American who I would cast as the Doctor, it would have been Gene Wilder. He, yeah, he's he, he was absolutely incredible. He had this. Yeah, like it's so different from any other role he ever did as well. Because most of the other roles he did, he's constantly hysterical, he's constantly comedic, but in this, he's wistful, he's he's mysterious, and he seems really in a way he's eerie, just how he carries himself off. And it's it's a beautiful performance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also one of the few kid-friendly performances he did too not that i didn't see all of his movies when i was around that age he was very blazing saddles isn't kid friendly it, it's not but i watched it <laughs> young frankenstein isn't for kids come on <laughs> okay yeah young frankenstein is because i actually remember showing that one to oh, my daughter but... sweet mystery of life at last <laughs> i found you so kid friendly <laughs> it could mean anything he was yeah. great in this and that scene in the very beginning where his um 
little stunt he pulls falling forward and then breaking into a somersault. Mm. He holds that until the last possible second. I know I would have fallen flat on my face. That was extraordinary. His idea as well is just astounding because it's one of the more iconic moments in the film. And you think like, no, that was Gene Wilder wanted to do that. (laughs) Yeah. I can't fault his performance to me. and, And maybe it is because I saw this first, but he will always be Willy Wonka to me. I was just going to say the same thing. I think that's basically the challenge that everybody's got is that this is such a perfect, like I said, a perfect marriage of character and actor. It's so so seamless that I don't think you will ever get anybody. And, you know, we haven't seen the new one yet, but I thoroughly doubt Timothy Chalamet is going to be up to the task. I know Johnny Depp certainly wasn't, um, (gasps) you know. (laughs) I think it's different, though, because it's meant to be a young version of him. So I might be able to accept it. Um, Maybe. Yeah, it's, it's, isn't it being marketed more as a prequel to this one? Oh, it is a prequel, but I mean, you're still playing the same character, and I still don't but think I would buy it. As, yeah, there's yeah. something so terrible about getting an actor who's not naturally eccentric enough for an eccentric role. I don't know. Wait, what? what? Have like, you not seen uh, Bones and All? I'm afraid I haven't, no. But Chalamet just doesn't seem to have that same kind of, like, yeah. The, oh, the, and in the French Dispatch, he's very eccentric in the French Dispatch. Okay. Well, I'll yeah. I'll I'll trust you on that, and I'll actually go watch it now. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I would say that my big my big beef with the Gene Wilder portrayal is that it's just so radically different from the book. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's almost a different character, really, because it's such um, an improvement for me, though. <laughs> But I mean, that being said, 10 out of 10, no notes, you know? <laughs> yeah. There is no, there is no flaw to this performance. I mean, it's just, there's not. Yeah. I think it says a lot that it's the title character. It is the one character that you come away from focused on in the movie. And yet in a one hour, 40 minute movie, he doesn't show up until 44 minutes into it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> That's impact for you. Yeah. And really, the whole la- first part of the movie isn't really memorable, except that we've seen it so many times, probably. I mean, yes, there are oh, a few like iconic scenes, but I mean, it's almost like two different movies. It's almost like they could have done it black and white and then colorized the oh, yeah, the like, actual uh, factory the version. Oh, that would be brilliant. That would be a great way of watching it. So they switch the color as they open the doors into that main room and he starts to sing Pure Imagination. That would actually be a really good edit for some That would be fantastic. (laughs) So, I mean, while we're here, we'll we'll get on to the direction, which, you know, obviously Mel Stewart. Anybody have any standouts with regards to that? I do, but I I want somebody else go first. (laughs) Just about every scene with a child in it. Um, From their introductions, when they get their golden tickets, uh, to their exits um, their, as they go out. Um, each scene is just beautifully crafted visually, but then also um, how the children act, the songs they sing, especially we had talked about the Veruca Salt um, mm-hmm. song, but it's it's so rewatchable. It, he just strikes some perfect magic in the casting, but also the direction, everything they do. It's It's it evokes that, like we talked about, those feelings, those slow unwrapping of the chocolate wrappers. I still, every time I open a Hershey's, you know, anything with gold foil like that, it still evokes that memory. Uh, the direction was superb, I feel. 
the pacing is impeccable in every That's scene. Exactly what I was about to say. Yes, it, it, it is an incredible because in the scenes where it's comedic, like with Veruca Salt and everything, it's bam, 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 bam. But like in the scenes with Charlie, it's slow, but it goes on at the exact same pace. It It, it is very consistent and yeah. it feels as though a director or the director was meticulously watching over every part of this, like every single part. It was really well done. I, I have to piggyback off of that because I was about to say all, literally the same thing, that, that the pacing is really the strongest aspect. It's what makes this movie because even when you have, like we said, the first 40, 45 minutes of buildup, other than up Charlie, which I would have left on the cutting room floor, but some people apparently really like, um, but even though we're not introduced to Willy Wonka, the titular character, until 45 minutes in or so, we're not bored. There's so much happening. And the, the comedy bits that we're talking about with adults, you're not even featuring the kids where everybody's looking for the bars. And it's boom, hit, boom, joke, boom. And then you have these moving moments with Charlie and Grandpa Joe and, and Charlie, you know, walking the kids up to the shop. And then you get to the factory. And again, it's that everything is moving at exactly the right speed. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just second all that, but I would say that for me as well, there's a certain eccentricity in the direction that perfectly matches the overall tone and the performances and stuff. So if you look at like decisions, like when they do the Oompa Loompa song, zooming out into like separate screens and having the lyrics sort of appear on screen in different sort of ways and things, it's just like, it's such a weird decision, but it fits so well for that moment like as you said it, it could have been potentially dark and potentially sinister and and yet instead you basically switch to the 60s batman for a couple of minutes you know <laughs> yeah i do think there's some good decisions and i do think there's some very you know nice scenes nice shots in this that that gate section where they're waiting at the gate and he comes out tonally i think that's just perfect you feel the tension that everybody around the gates is feeling as he just takes his time limping out. I just, I love that. Yeah, this movie's really good at tension. Very good at tension. Just look at that uh, that scene with the tinker who who is talking to Charlie about the factory, about fear of little men. That scene definitely didn't need to be in the movie, but it was awesome because yeah. of the way that it was it was made and delivered. It, it set this atmosphere mm. and the atmosphere was just, wonderful in this film and every Jeremy time a chocolate bar is open <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, and every time a, every time a chocolate bar was opened too was a tension every single time oh gosh yeah when he when he's just peeling it back and you just you as an audience member you're sat there wishing wishing for him to get that golden ticket so when he does you feel as much joy as he does Agreed. You're stealing all my words, so. <laughs> <All right. laughs> and obviously, there's things like the boat. Uh, I mean, that that tunnel scene. It's been cited as one of the scariest in a film for children, and it was ranked number seventy-four on Bravo's hundred scariest movie moments. Yeah, I don't get that. As I've said. <laughs> yeah. We're British. We can take shit like that. We were raised on, you know, Doctor Who. Uh, as, 
something that you sent me, Mike, which which I didn't know. Apparently, it's also been interpreted as a psychedelic trip, though Mel Stewart denies that that was his intention. Yeah, he protests a bit too much, if you ask me on that one. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm sorry. That's always how I interpreted that. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of uh, mushrooms in that uh, opening room before we get there. <laughs> oh, my God. And how good did all that candy look? Too, I know. By the way, in that scene, I mean, you can talk about the quality of the effects. I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I've known that that buttercup was wax since I was a kid. I remember learning that. But you just want to drink whatever was in that and eat that cup. I mean, or the, you know, the cream off of the mushroom or yeah. I just wish they had eaten the grass. Like the, I loved that part in the book where they eat the grass. But um, just everything in that place, except for the chocolate weirdly the, the brown water that looked nothing like chocolate but, <laughs> maybe that, that was for I a mean, British audience yeah i know it's such a small thing as well but i love that final shot as the credits move up of the uh the elevator yeah i i i don't know it just sparks my imagination and before where it's flying over the city yeah it still looks it's it's looking a little dated but when they cut to the blue sky and the elevator kind of flying off, I love that moment. I think the most impressive scene of the direction has to be the scene where Willy Wonka tries to um, urge Charlie out of the office um, at the very end. When he says, you lose, you get nothing, you broke the contract. Just the, I don't know, because in every other scene, the pacing is consistent and it doesn't really change or shift. But in that scene, that scene went, or, you know, it looks as though everything's going great. And then it just comes to a standstill. Yeah. And it feels unnatural because that none of the other scenes in the movie have really done that. And so it, it really makes that scene stand out and it makes the audience really engage with it. And I, I love that one. Yeah, and despite having seen it so many times, to me, that scene still throws me because you're still mm -hmm. unsure. Yeah. What about you guys, Sandy, Bian? No, I, th I think it's all been said. Cool. So, I mean, going on now to the, uh, the FX and the production design, does anybody have anything with regards to that? It's great. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Ever since being a kid, I've wanted to just live in that first room they go into because for some reason, the bright colours, the way that it's designed and everything, it's just, it is my childhood dream. <laughs> if you ask me to describe magic, I'll just draw that room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really, everything from the candy shop in the beginning, him just tossing candy everywhere. That's a scene that was different. Younger, I was just like, oh, I wish like that would happen to me in a candy store. And watching you when you're older, it's like, who's who's going to pay for all that? <laughs> a little it's, bit different, but it yeah, was just it, so magical. Everything, the big chocolate room, every little room they went to. Speaking of the candy man, by the way, does anybody else find it very sus that he's throwing away free candy to all the rich kids? Then when Charlie goes in, he's like, Hum, I want those. It is, yeah. I will say, even though I, you know, I know they're props, even though I've known they were props since a kid. I so wanted those Wonka bars. Mm. Yes. And I, we now, we, near where I live, there's like a, a kind of 
what I can best describe as a shopping mall for geeks uh, called uh, Reino de Juguetes. So, you know, if, if you're out there and you're wanting to send us any free stuff, please do. But they have a Wonka shop in there. So I'm just in heaven when I go in that because they've got just Wonka bars everywhere. I don't think I've ever had a chocolate Wonka bar, but I know I've had Wonka nerds. Do you know those little... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fruity sweet things. <laughs> yeah, they've, yeah, they've just got rows and rows. They've got merchandise from the movie. Mike. They've got Mike TV... The, you know, the actual kid that played Mike TV, he signed some Wonka bars and all that kind of stuff. And I just love it. Every time I go, I have to head there and get some chocolate. <laughs> Can't blame you. I feel like over here, we do see the Wonka label around a lot mm -hmm. still, just every everywhere, average places. Yeah, but we don't I, have Wonka bars. We only have like nerds and... I've had uh, a Wonka bar. Oh, man. That's yeah, I've seen them. It was just like a Nestle's Crunch. I mean, it was not anything special, sadly. Yeah. Just the wrapper. Novelty yeah. of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, from, from what happened, Nestle own it now because shortly after the film came out, Quaker released all these Wonka bars, but they miscalculated on the, uh, the ingredients. And it led to all the chocolate melting while it was still on the shelves in the stores. Oh, no. Yes. So they had to quickly withdraw them. And, yeah, let's get on to sound design and the soundtrack for this. Ooh. It's obviously, I mean, it's by Leslie Bricus, best known for writing music and lyrics for films like Dr. Doolittle, Goodbye, Mr. Chips, Scrooge. You know, partly the song's Goldfinger, You Only Live Twice, and the uh, Can You Read My Mind? song from uh, Superman. With oh, I love that. That's terrible. Anthony, but I love it. <laughs> Anthony Newley. I mean, who wrote Feeling Good for Nina Simone. He's worked with Tony Bennett, Streisand, you know, and Walter Scarf, who did this, also did the score for Hans Christian Anderson, Funny Girl, oh. a couple of Elvis movies. And he wrote the, uh, the Ben single for Michael Jackson. Hmm. Wow. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> We've got some really yeah. to, uh, to that except to say that, yeah, I think it's fantastic. The the score and the songs, I don't think there's really a bad song. As I said, I think for me, Cheer Up Charlie is the weakest, but I don't think it's bad. And obviously it means a lot to other people. Um, but I would just love to know what everybody's favorite song in the movie is. If, if we could go around and nobody minds. Sorry, DK, to hijack for a second. No, that's fine, mate. Go for it. So uh, I, I will start off if that's all right. Go for it, yeah. Uh, it's pure imagination. That was mine too, even though my mother yeah. disagrees and apparently doesn't think Gene Wilder performs it very well. Oh, I, I love I, it. I almost fell out with her over the phone when she said that earlier today. Oh, my God. I <laughs> love it. I, as, a, as a bit of weird trivia, I don't listen to the Gene Wilder version, but I listen to a version of that song every night yeah. on my walk because it helps me, what I would term, helps me dream better. Oh, it's lovely. There is a cover out there by a group called, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Superhuman featuring Quigley, and I absolutely adore it. And I listen to it every single night. And I urge you, if you've not heard it, I mean, you might hate it. Obviously, different taste, but yeah, it's I find it and put it in the link along with the pitch meeting for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even though I do have a special affinity for Cheer Up Charlie, Pure Imagination is my favorite song in in the musical. <laughs> oh, we're all gonna say the same thing now, aren't we? <laughs> Sandy, what no. about you? Um, no, I no, I love. Um, I had mentioned it. 
I had mentioned it earlier. I love I want it now. I think the rhyming is so clever. Oh yeah, it's good. I want the whole world. And it's you know, you can belt it out in the car. I I really just love that song so much. Cool. Vian? I'm I'm that's tough because I also love I Want It Now a lot and I sing it all the time. But in terms of the overall well also have to go with pure imagination because it's just yeah. the lyrics and just it's a magical magical haunting song and by the way uh chase masterson did it on her first album oh, and okay. sings it frequently in star trek conventions nice Ooh, nice i'll have to try this that down this is a completely random aside and apologies if you're not a fan but has anybody seen the family guy parody of, of willy wonka and the chocolate factory oh, oh the, yeah. yeah yeah the beer one yeah your creation <laughs> is just the most genius parody version of this i've ever heard my daughter was recreating him falling down and hurting his knee for me ah. <laughs> yes oh i i know this isn't exactly related to music and direction but i just realized uh, I have a very interesting aside. My mother, uh, she was 10 when the movie came out. Wow. And she saw it in the theaters. And she's told me about this many times that uh, there was an, they somehow input an intermission into the film somewhere. I don't know where it was. She's, uh, she, I forgot to ask her. But basically, when they came out from intermission, all of the concession stands were transformed into Wonka stuff oh, wow That's so cool. there were everlasting gobstoppers nerds like everything was there and she said that she ate a lot of it and so did her sister and they got sick but um, <laughs> but they, I, they, they loved it yeah yeah that happened to me y'all would hear about it every thanksgiving <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I will say a close second for me was the Oompa Loompa songs, just because I like the fun kind of rhyme and the nature of it. And again, it's been parodied really well by uh, certainly Family Guy, but definitely Futurama, as you mentioned earlier, Jeremy, the Grunkalunka songs. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> yeah, you can always tell a film is pretty iconic when it's been parodied as many times as uh, as Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh yes. Then again, maybe it's just that generation. It's weird that you said about your mum because my mum was nine when this film came out, so they were so close in age. That's <laughs> awesome. Sorry, what was that, Vian? What 1971. year? Seventy-one. Nineteen seventy-one. Oh my God. I was negative five. Oh, there was one thing that really dazzled me as a child, and now that I grow up, and I, I realize, oh well, that's obviously they painted over the the uh, the actual film. But what it was was the the Wonka lighting up Lights. on yeah. the on the on the actual uh, uh, the chimney. Yeah, that, that bit really, really. I was like, how did they do that when I was a kid? Like for some reason, that was the thing that made me like. You wouldn't think it was that, but you're absolutely right. Because again, it came up when I was researching the movie. They did just literally paint on the film. <laughs> that was it. Simple but effective. It works really well. But I mean, were all of you as kind of captivated since childhood by me by that weird shrinking room where they kind of oh, they enter yeah. one way and then they're all pressed oh, together yeah, and then they oh, exit? Yeah, the I love that. It's so weird, but so cool. It's again, it's the film in a nutshell. It's kind of like this is so weird, but I kind of still want to just go and experience it. Do you guys think that, say, in 50 years' time, we would be talking about the Shal well, you know, assuming we're all here, we would be talking about the Chalamet one or even the ah! Depp version? Sorry, no. remains to be seen. To uh, yeah. be seen. I'm gonna hazard a guess and say no. <laughs> 
I think because they're tied to the legacy of this one, like we, we kind of will, but it'll always be one of those things where it'll be a footnote. It won't be a yeah. gosh, that's a classic. It'll be a gosh, that really tried to be a classic. Like <laughs> Yeah. Like why oh why did they try to do something when there was such a perfect film and it should have just been left alone kind of conversation? Yeah, maybe I, I, I will watch it though. I will watch I'll it. watch it. I'll give it a go, you know. <laughs> I'm going yeah, to see Aquaman on the same day. It's probably still going to be the best film I see that day. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to see it this Wednesday, so I, I do have kind of high hopes. And if not, I'm just going to head to the shop and get myself some Wonka anyway. <laughs> so do you guys, yes. So do you guys think uh, this one deserves its cult classic status? Yes. For sure. Yes. yes. For sure. This is where I get into that distinction between cult classic and just classic, because I would not call this a cult classic. I would call this just a classic. I would agree with you, Vian, but I think where it kind of falls into that line is that it was a huge flop when it was released. And it's kind of its reputation has grown beyond like box office or even the first few years of its life. But it does have a it does have a cult following in that you will see it cosplayed and brought up again for there's Baruka salt costumes that are specific mm -hmm. to the 70s version so i still I, want that jacket that gene wilder wears i love that thing that was I, the other thing I forgot to mention that gene wilder actually had input on the costume like he he apparently was responsible for the color of the pants that he wore and the exact size of the hat and little bits like that i'll be back in one moment to show y'all something oh you, you oh you, he's got one he's got the either the jacket or the hat i know that you like jeremy but yeah anyway, I, i'm wondering if i'm wondering if this you know the colors that obviously gene wilder wears has had input with regards to cadbury's popularity in the uk yeah. i'm just i'm just waiting for jeremy to return and then we'll oh, of course. Oh. <laughs> that's beautiful man i can't see what is it it's the wonka hat yeah and, and the, the purple coat and the purple coat of course yeah oh. you'll uh -huh. see when the edit goes out vian because he's actually on camera so yes <laughs> Yes, so, I, yeah. I dressed up as him a few years ago for Halloween. Oh, oh nice. imagine. <laughs> no, no doubt in your taste. So, yeah, I, th I think we've covered this one uh, pretty comprehensively. But anything that any any of you think we've missed or not paid attention to? No. Cool. Well, we'll, uh, we'll get straight to our favourites then. So looking for a favourite character, line and scene from today's movie. And we'll begin with uh, favourite character... And go around. So, uh, Sandy, we'll start with you this time. Who is your favorite character in this one? Um, I mean, it's going to have to be the obvious for me, um, but Willy Wonka himself. Um, the movie was about him. Um, he had so much charisma. He set the tone for the movie, but also just um, um, the fact that he wanted his legacy to go on and that he knew he had to choose an innocent child to carry on his legacy, which um, I think is how he saw himself. He saw himself a lot like Charlie, um, yeah. that he was innocent. He was the one who was always getting his recipe stolen and he just wanted to make, you know, the world a better place. Uh, so I, that's why he's my favorite, I think. Cool. You've, you've pretty much taken my word. So yeah, that's for me. So I'll, I'll come to you next, Vianne. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to have to be Willy Wonka, of course, because, you know, you have this performance that is all over the map emotionally where he, he yells at Charlie and then he sometimes he's very soft and sometimes he's very uh, 
charming and sometimes he's you know he's he's very distinct emotions but they're all cohesive they're all part of the gestalt they not none of these different outbursts whether they're calm or or anything they don't feel out of place they don't feel out of character this feels weirdly like a real person uh which considering everything is alarming in some ways but uh <laughs> there's just never been another performance like it mm -hmm. yeah jeremy so favorite performance has to go to gene wilder but my favorite character is charlie bucket because charlie is just so so sweet so pure and even though i know that wonka did it to test charlie it kind of taints my view of him just a little when he um when when he basically emotionally i don't know plays with him in order to see if he will give back the gobstopper and i just think i love charlie a bit more because that he is just such a really good kid he's such a good kid put into a situation where you really want to see him succeed and get everything that he he actually deserves. Yeah. 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 That was pretty brutal. Mm -hmm. What about you, Mike? Uh, I'm just going to read exactly what I've written. I've just said my favorite character is Willy Wonka. He's fascinating, unique, magical, interesting, and you can't take your eyes off him whenever he's on screen. Pretty succinct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll stick with you. What about your, uh, what's your favorite scene? My favorite scene I've already alluded to is basically when they enter the factory for the first time and he opens the doors to that room, which just looks incredible. And it's, you know, candy versions of everything and everything's bright. And it's like, I don't know, there's fake trees and mushrooms and everything. And then he starts to sing Pure Imagination and gives that performance as they enter. That's the my favorite moment or scene. Cool. Uh, Jeremy? I think my favorite scene is probably the... Um... I know this is crazy, but it's the scene with the tinker, the scene where he's uh, just unnecessarily creepy. It basically <laughs> is like, nobody ever goes in and nobody ever comes out. I, I, it's just, it's so weird, but it's done so well. I just love it. Cool. Vian? Oh, I was just thinking, and um, I, there's so many great moments, but there's one that I really find amusing, and it's when... Mike TV is saying something, I don't remember what, and Willy Wonka is just so dismissive. He's like, I'm a little deaf in this ear. You've got to speak a little louder. It just kind of turns away. And I just, that tickles me. Spitting's a terrible habit. I know a worse one. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> or open you, your Sandy? mouth a little wider when you speak. <laughs> My favorite you? scene is a Baruch Assault's exit, that whole scene where she does sing and the choreography was just going around kind of making a mm. mess of the place. And I did feel terrible for the little people trying to contain her, but I just thought the whole scene was very entertaining and, and her exit as a bad egg. I just thought that, that was my favorite scene. I'm glued to it every time it comes on. Cool. I was, I was gonna say myself, it, it was, it's between two, either Wonka coming to the gates, but I think it just pips it with the opening of the chocolate room, like Mike said, and he starts yeah. saying, I just think that's, a, that's just one beautiful. Scene. It makes me well up every time. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, so, yeah, do you guys have a, have a favorite line? And, uh, you know, I'll uh, I'll start with you this time, Jeremy. Um, oh, I can't remember it entirely, but it's We Are The Dreamers. We are the music makers. 
And we are the dreamers of dreams. Weirdly enough, that is my favourite line as well. Oh, the clo- the the the, the, the uh, my second favourite is. I take him to push through. The suspense is terrible. He, he's going to go this time. I hope it'll last. Go on, boy. Oh yes, it's a great one. Great one. <laughs> so yeah, what about you, Sandy? Favourite line? My favourite line, and not only because it rhymes, is. A little nonsense now and then is relished by the wisest man. Hey, Dad! And I just like that one. It's cadence and then also just um, um, actually to me, and it was probably self-imposed, but in my family, like intelligence was just uh, very important to my grandfather. And But yet he also loved, um, his favorite movie was The Gods Must Be Crazy. But oh. he would watch he would fill every crossword puzzle out on his own in jeopardy. He knew all the answers. He was just everything to me, but that's why I love that. that so much just, you know, intelligence and, and also just remembering you have to sit back and be able to laugh at silly things. That's beautiful. What about you, Vian? I think I agree with Sandy. Um, I find myself singing that little snippet a lot and I, I agree with everything she just said. No, it's it is important. Silliness is important. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with that. Fantastic, Mike. Uh, I have a couple. The the one that uh, I was gonna. Well, first of all, the, the one I decided not to go with was the one that Jeremy basically stole earlier, which is because it's my you know really basic sense of humour. I genuinely do always laugh out loud. At- I am now telling the computer exactly what he can do with a lifetime supply of chocolate. But- I'm not going to pick that one. I'm going to go with, and it's all in the delivery. I'm just going to go with. Away from that thing! Stop! Don't come back. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. Oh, that is a good one. So fantastic. Uh, yeah, uh, it's now it's time to go out. That's what you guys think. And if you're a regular listener, you'll know that occasionally we've had Sandy reading your responses, and she's done. Uh, such a fantastic job here. Uh, we're going to hand over to Sandy for these. Is that okay, Sandy? That sounds great. I am ready. Go so these it. all came from uh, different Facebook pages. This first one's a friend of DK, um, Kieran Martin Walker, um, or maybe it was Mike's. Friend um, of mine, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> for me, it's the story, character, and songs. Gene Wilder playing Wonka. As I always said, that role was made for him, especially the sass and back chatting that makes it even funnier. Like, if the good Lord intended us to walk, he wouldn't have invented roller skates. Or, the suspense is terrible. I hope it'll last when Augustus Gloop goes up the pipes and gets stuck. Or Mike TV asking such a stupid question. I also love the songs. It's not just Gene singing it. It's every song, like The Candyman Can and Pure Imagination, that every time I put the film on via Blu-ray, I can't help but sing and hum to the music. Um, five out of five. Um, Mike's brother, um, Mike was playing around with him, having him guess what film he was watching. And uh, Mike's brother gave it a review of Legendary. He says, yes, absolutely iconic. Uh, Steve Jones says, watched this so many times as a kid, then a boatload of times again with my little girl who loves it as well. All time classic. Damien Woods, I love this movie. Five out of five. Gene Wilder is amazing as Willy Wonka. Um, 
Sarah Armstrong. My hubby and I love this movie. It's one of the few musicals I can get him to sit and watch. It's nostalgic. It's magic. It's fun. It's even scary. It took me years before I could watch the tunnel scene. One of my favorite covers of Pure Imagination was on Glee when they sang it at Sue Sylvester's wedding. She said she also loves how the adults are just as excited and fascinated as the children. It invites us as an audience to enjoy no matter our age and makes it timeless. And that's right. Grandpa Joe really was the one telling poor anxiety ridden Charlie to just relax. <laughs> Everything was going to be okay. Um, Justin Daniels um, in tongue in cheek says, what does one say of a beloved children's? Ah, I can't even finish this film was a horror film wrapped in candy. It never ceases to amaze me the things we were shown as children. And so he does go into some of the more dark aspects, OSHA violations and, um, oh, you can leave my factory after I drown you in chocolate, you filthy little glutton. And um, he says, to recap, eccentric millionaire runs children through death rates and names the successor based on his judgment of some 10-year-old kid's morality without even taking outside influences into context. Children found lacking are, of course, tortured and expelled from the factory. He kidnaps the winner and takes him and his guardian on the most unsafe elevator ever made. I mean, they never did show it come down. So, Add in the psychedelics and the attacks on workers' rights, and you've got something you should joyfully show to children. No wonder society is so screwed up. Wow. Uh, I shouldn't have probably ended on that one. I should have maybe reordered. Do you but, know uh, I, a little Oompa Loompa song on it? Oh, there was a feedback that was actually in the style of an Oompa Loompa song, and I can't remember where it was. I may, maybe I can find it. Hang on. Oh, yeah. Ben Black, it was by. <laughs> um, shall, I, shall I do it for you? Yes. <laughs> okay. Ben Black's feedback was, what would you score? Hey, he film so weird. Was Wonka a man that children feared? He seemed like the man was a psychopath and punished kids just for the laughs and also got away with it i totally <laughs> didn't pick up on that <laughs> there you go that was it <laughs> i'm just imagining uh i know this joke has been done before but just imagining charlie he's like charlie i'm giving you the factory and all the lawsuits with it <laughs> <laughs> you, you know just like <laughs> Hey, Charlie, I'll be in Peru. Good luck with the essays. <laughs> is, uh, is that it for the feedback then, Sandy? That is it. All right. Thank you for that. And uh, thank you out there for letting us know your thoughts. As always, if you missed out and want to drop us a line or if you're just interested in pointing out where you think we went wrong, then links are in the description. And uh, and with that, it's time for us here to give our conclusions on this one. So we'll start uh, with the guests. So I'm going to come to you this time, uh, first this time, Vianne. Final thoughts and score out of five on today's movie. Oh, five out of five. I mean, it's a classic for a reason. It speaks to everybody. I mean, look at the, the group of us and all of our different interpretations and, and what spoke to us about it. And so there's something in it for everybody. There's something in it for all ages. And it's it's timeless, even though it's very obviously, you know, 70s, right? It's still got a sense of timelessness to it. Um, and I think it will outlive all all the others, even though the Tim Burton one was more faithful to the book. Cool. Jeremy, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, five out of five. It is a wonderful, wonderful, timeless movie. And 
it deserves to be preserved. Um, I think I've made all of my opinions about it quite clear before, but as a conclusion, it's just, it's magical. And it doesn't talk down to the audience, which I think is a big mistake that many children's movies make. Uh, it's wonderful. Cool. Sandy? I gave this a 4.5 out of 5, which is actually the highest I've ever scored on Silver Screen's podcast. And uh, that's just, again, for all the things everyone had mentioned, the enjoyment of it, the music is good, the direction and set design is good, it, the message is fun and and needed, and um, that's why I scored it pretty high. Everything's really great about it. Not high enough. Cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm very so, yeah, I'm very saving that five for something. I don't know what yet. Oh, I'm, I am tempted to see what this is going to be. This five when you when you eventually drop it. What about you, Mike? Uh, okay, I said let's see, a genuine pleasure, charming, wonderful. I'm delighted, overjoyed, enraptured, entranced. Okay, there might be some bias from the fact that I grew up watching this. It's one of my parents' favorite films, and they aren't even film buffs like I am. Subsequently, it's become a favorite of me, my sister, my brother, and probably a good chunk of my generation. But the truth is that it succeeded in captivating us all, and that should tell you something. It brings me back to the innocence of youth when seeing cinematic magic on screen felt magical. This may be one of those defining films that made me fall in love with film. It just always gets me emotional in the best nostalgic feel-good way. The set designs are gorgeous. The direction is perfect. The comedy works. The morality and wit in the incredibly tight script are flawless. And I personally think making it a musical was inspired with the song's only elevating proceedings. The acting, too, is incredible from all involved. But I have to single out the late, great Gene Wilder. A brilliant actor in anything, but I truly think his Wonka is a marriage of actor and character that is transcendent and untouchable. For me, it's not just rightfully iconic. It's one of the top 10 performances in the history of cinema. Finally, if you're a film nerd type like me who cares about such things, I can confirm that the 4K version of the film is absolutely dazzling. Unlike some films, it's well worth the upgrade if you're able. Uh, ultimately, I'll end by saying if you haven't seen this for a while, give it a whirl this holiday season. And I guarantee you'll be lost all over again in a world of pure imagination. And I also gave it five out of five. All right. Well, I may be a jaded old misanthrope, but this movie gets me every time. Maybe it's the season, but it hits me right in the feels. Yeah, it's dated slightly, but it has got so much heart. These are the characters to me. Peter Ostrom is fantastic as Charlie. And as long as I live, no one will ever be wonker to me other than Gene Wilder. He plays it so masterfully, and he just deserves all the credit and more. It's sharp, it's witty, it gave birth to a thousand memes. It's both a stinging satire and consumerism, and a heartfelt children's tale. It will always be in my top movies list, and truth be told, I am really, really glad to finish this season of cult classics on a high note such as this, and I've given it five. Awesome. Woo! Yes, Sandy, ruining the perfect score. <laughs> Which gives uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory a combined score of, over to you, Mike. Exactly 4.9 out of 5. Ooh. <laughs> I think that's, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty decent. It's as close that's as you good can get. good perfect, let's be fair. <laughs> that's it from us on this one, which means it's time for me to thank my guests today for joining. So uh, thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. Anytime, mate. Anything you'd like to draw attention to or plug while you're here? Uh, not really. Uh, I'm just glad to be here. 
Okay. What about uh, you, Lady Vian? Anything you'd like to promote? Any of your social media you want to draw attention to? Uh, no, I will just say, um, you know, because I know probably a lot of Trekkies watch this, the Hollywood Food Coalition does have their big event in January, January 13th. So watch social media for ways you can donate and help home. Cool. Uh, Sandy, should I ask? Uh, sure. I just wanted to say, uh, hiya, Adrienne. How are you, sweetie? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks for joining us today. And uh, Mike, some, uh, you know, links as always, same as usual. Yeah, the links are always in the description. I want to say thank you while she's here to Lady Vianne for providing my new outro for uh, Hit or Miss Star Trek and the regular Silver Screen podcasts, which are currently being edited into a workable form. And yeah, catch uh, <laughs> us back here for the Christmas special next week. Hopefully the end of year review around New Year time and in, I think, February uh, over on the Hit or Miss Star Trek channel when we're looking at all things Romulan. There we go. Nice one. Thanks for joining us today, Philip. And uh, yeah, to you out there, thank you for joining us. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening as much as you've enjoyed rambling. And if you've liked our banter, then please consider giving us the Christmas gift of a coffee account tip. And if you're so inclined, don't forget to like and subscribe. It's very much appreciated. That's it for Cult Classics, both for this year and this season. We'll be back in the new year, kick off the new season with a look at a John Carpenter classic. So if you're up for that, Please mark it in your calendars as fingers crossed we'll be back on the 2nd of January to help dispel those post-holiday blues. Fear not though, it's not quite it from the Silver Screen podcast this year. As Mike said, we'll be back on hosting duties next week. Adrienne will be joining him, Sandy and myself, as we get even more into the holiday season for our Christmas special where we look at the classic Scrooged. So be there for that. If it's not your thing, don't worry. We still wish you a Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, and we'll see you soon, but we really hope you'll join us one last time this year. Until then, thank you, and remember, and I'm going to head over to Jeremy to uh, to sing us out, if he would. Yes. It, so, I want to do a wholesome song. I don't want to do the scary one. I already did a scary <laughs> intro. So, I'm going to do Pure Imagination, just the refrain in the chorus. So, here we go. If you want to view paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to do it, want to change the world, there's nothing to it. There is no life I know to compare with pure imagination. Living there, you'll be free if you truly wish to be. Woo! That is just fantastic. Good job I'm not on camera right now. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. And good night, children. You have been listening to the Silver Screen Podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Behind the scenes sections and additional material produced by DK. Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash timeless journey. 
Follow the podcast on Instagram at Silver Screen Podcast or look for the Silver Screen Podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen, Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast Production, copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.